Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. What's, uh, what's on your mind these days? What do you find yourself thinking about right when you wake up in the morning? What do you find yourself uh, thinking about the minute before you go to bed? What do you spend time daydreaming about? What are your anxieties, your distractions, your fears that are keeping you up at night? What do you think those thoughts are doing to you? What are they doing to others? How are they impacting and shaping the way that you see the world, the way that you see yourself, the way that you see others, the way that you see Jesus? See, our minds are really important and they view and they shape the way that we see the world in front of us. If you don't know me, my name is Austin Connor. I'm one of the co-directors here at Veritas. If you were here last week, then you remember Kyle talked about and emphasized the important role that our heart plays in our relationship with Jesus and how important it is to create habits that cultivate our love for Jesus on a heart level, right? Because our habits, they actually do something to us and to others. The things that we do or don't do can determine how our relationship with Jesus goes. Tonight, we're going to kind of stick with this theme of habits, but in particular, we're going to zero in just a little bit on the habits of our mind. Jesus, he was once asked by someone what the most important commandment was, and he said this in Mark chapter 12. The most important commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. It's a good thing I put my phone here to keep my notes from blowing away. It's a, it's a good move here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. You see, just as riding a bike properly takes two wheels, just as driving an SUV properly takes four wheels, well, following Jesus and loving Jesus properly, it takes all of who we are. It takes our heart, our soul, our mind, all of our strength. And so that's the question tonight. Are you, are we following Jesus with our mind? Do we even know what that looks like and why? Most importantly, why does that even matter? What's at stake? Tonight, we're going to read just two verses that I think are going to help give us answers to those questions. And so tonight, we're in the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. If you have a Bible, if people bring Bibles to these things, you can go there. If not, we're going to have the verses here and on the screen in just a second. As you get there, know that the Apostle Paul, he is writing to a group of Christians in the city of Rome in the first century. This church is filled with all kinds of different people, rich people, lower class people, Jewish people, Gentiles. It's a broad mix And in the first 11 chapters of this book, Paul is talking about the amazing mercy and the abundance of grace that he has shown to all people. It's a beautiful and eloquently written letter. 
And then you get to verse 12, sorry, chapter 12, and he switches a little bit. He starts to bring those amazing realities down into the nitty-gritty life, daily life of the people. And it's the same exact thing for us. Let's read verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so to summarize that verse, Paul is saying here that the reasonable and the proper and right response to God's mercy on all that he has done in and through Jesus is to offer up the entirety of our lives, the entirety of our bodies, our hearts, our souls, our minds. That's, that's the thing that makes sense to do. Offer that up. And so how does that look like? What does that look like? Well, that's when Paul continues to clarify. and We get to verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We could do an entire summer sermon series just on that verse, but we'll just stick to a couple things. Two things that he says to do. Don't be conformed. Don't let our minds be conformed to the pattern of the world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We'll unpack that in a second, but here's my contention. My contention tonight is that if we let our minds be conformed to the world, to the pattern of the world, and not allow our minds to be transformed and renewed, then we're not going to follow Jesus. We're not going to want to follow Jesus, and we're not going to be able to follow Jesus. Let's break it down here. The, the first part of that verse, it says this, do not be conformed to the pattern of the world. Don't conform. Again, we could summarize that or sum up that phrase, don't be conformed. It just means don't be squeezed into a certain kind of shape or mold or pattern. Imagine yourself like Play-Doh, right? You've all played with Play-Doh. Hey, Play-Doh hot dogs. My kids do that. They try to eat them. That's bad. Don't do that, right? Don't be molded into the pattern that the world is trying to shape you in. Resist a certain kind of pressure. Well, that begs the question, what's the pressure? What is pushing against us? What is trying to mold and form and shape us? Well, that says, the verse tells us it's the pattern of the world. Basically, the world is the system, the structure, uh, the, the way of life that is hostile, that is opposed to the way of Jesus, to the kingdom of God, to everything that he stands for. Jesus is building and has brought a kingdom of love, justice, and mercy. The world is pushing an agenda that is the opposite of that. And that world has an agenda for you and me, a two-part agenda for you and me. You know what the first part of that agenda is? The world is saying, come and look at me. Come and look at me. This guy, his name is Edward Bernays. And he is what many call the father of American advertising. You see, he came up with a theory, uh, particularly after World War II. His theory was that if the Nazis could manipulate people in wartime, then surely business owners could do the same thing to people in peacetime. In the late 1940s, after the war, and he's in the United States and developing his, his, his ideas, he, he called this new idea the public relations, and there, therefore became the father of uh, uh, the father of American advertising. He elaborated, explained more about this theory in his book. It's called Propaganda. This is really interesting and eerily prophetic. Check it out. 
the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate the unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. He goes on, we are governed. Our minds are molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested largely by those we've never heard of. And in almost every act of our daily lives, we're dominated by the relatively small number of persons who pull the wires which control the public mind. He wrote this in 1928. And he began to put it into practice and develop it shortly after World War II in the United States. I think we've seen the fruit of that a little bit in our culture, yeah? Let me show you some people who probably you've never heard of, at least I hadn't, who might be, in, and I suspect are pulling the wires, as Edward Bernays said. This is Reed Hastings. He is the CEO of Netflix. And in a 2017 interview, this is about three years ago now, he was asked about a lot of co competition from Amazon Prime and a lot of up-and-coming streaming services. You know what he did? He just went, meh. Wasn't worried about him. You know what he said his biggest competition was? Sleep. He said the thing that keeps him up at night, ironically, the thing that he worries about is that people are going to sleep too much. And if people are sleeping too much, they're not watching Netflix. He and the resources of his $4.6 billion company, they're competing against your sleep. Don't sleep. Instead, what's that agenda? Come and look at me. Come look at Netflix. This is Susan Wojcicki. She's the CEO of YouTube. Now, originally when YouTube started, they had this algorithm that was all based on trying to get the most amount of clicks from a video. But a few years ago, Susan and the board, they made a small but significant change. They didn't care so much about clicks anymore. They tried to now maximize watch time on videos. So that was what the algorithm, algorithm changed to do. Now, the main goal of YouTube is to maximize your total watch time. And what YouTube did to ensure that this goal was met is they hired thousands of people like Guillaume. This is Guillaume Chalot. If you've listened to uh, New York Times uh, rabbit hole, uh, they talk about a little bit about his story in here. He was on the other side of people's screens, trying to get them to watch more and more videos. Guillaume has since gotten out of YouTube because he didn't feel right, but still there are thousands of people who are watching what you're watching, seeing what you like, cultivating, preparing the next video for you to watch so that you'll stay there and maximize your watch time. They'll get rid of, move, of, of videos that they don't think you'll like. He didn't do this maliciously. These people, they're not bad. They're trying to make a living. They're trying to impress their boss. They're trying to get paid and climb the ladder, so to speak. And yet, there are thousands of people on the other side of your screen trying to get you to maximize watch time. They're trying to maximize that watch time. They're saying, look, don't work. Don't eat. Don't pray. Don't read your Bible. Don't go to small group. Don't focus on your school. Don't take a walk on the trail. Don't love Jesus, stay here. Come and look at me. So there's a two-part agenda. Part one was, come look at me. Part two, come listen to me. The world is selling you and I something. It's trying to get you and I to buy into a message, a story, a good life 
that is antithetical to and opposite from the biblical story. Do you know what that is? Have you been able to discern it? Have you heard those agendas? Again, we could spend all summer talking about these. I'll, I'll just talk about four messages that, that I see that I think are pretty common. Here's the first, just a quick book title. You are enough. You don't need anybody else. You're enough. If anybody tries to tell you you're not or that you need help, well, that person is toxic. You need to keep them at arm's length. Closely related, right? Follow your dreams. If you can believe it, you can achieve it. If you want to do it, do it. Surround yourself with people who support you and love you and give their blessing to you. If you try to question that, you're not good for me. I need to tune you out. Materialism. Here's one. Shop smart at Lord and Taylor. I don't know if you can read this. Shop smart at Lord and Taylor. This dress will make your friends insanely jealous, which you have to admit is pretty much the goal. All right, a couple of messages there. Number one, buy the new, sexiest, trendiest thing, article of clothing. And then two, why should you do that? Well, it's to create envy among your friends, right? To get them to be jealous of you. You have to outshine them. It is now a competition. Or how about this one? Maybe I have no idea how old this is, but I just saw it and I was like, yep, that's pretty much it. Dodge Viper, need we say more? If you have the Dodge Viper, then you're in. You will be wanted, accepted. People, and in this case, women will worship you and flock to you. All you got to do, what do you have to do? Well, you got to get the Dodge Viper. All right, if it's not a Dodge Viper, then it's the North Face hoodie, the latest swag, the I don't know what it is. You could insert that materialism. The messages are out there. That's the agenda of the world. Come and listen to me. The church is not immune either. The world can twist the message of the gospel into something unbiblical and dangerous. One message that is alive and well, hopefully you know this, is the prosperity gospel. Right? Prosperity gospel says that if there's a hardship in your life, then there's something wrong with you. This isn't what God wants for you. If you're going through hardship, it means that you're either doing something wrong and maybe you're being punished for it, or at the very least, God is going to work all things together for your good and deliver you from this hardship because that's what he wants for you. Preachers and teachers like Mike Todd and Joyce Myers and Stephen Furtick and Joel Osteen, they are promoting this prosperity gospel. And we need to be careful because that is destructive and dangerous and leads us astray in our relationship and following with Jesus. This is best, best captured by Osteen's book. One of the titles says, Your Best Life Now. Right, God wants your best life now. Why? Well, so that you can bless others. The more that you have, the more you can give away to others. If you don't have a lot, well, that's not good because you can't bless as much people, right? So get more. Pray for more so that you can bless others. It almost sounds good, doesn't it? It kind of does. But that's the thing. It's tricky. What do we say to that? Well, let's just stick with Jesus. First and foremost, what did he say? Whoever would follow me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Cross in the ancient world is crucifixion when meant death. Jesus is saying you have to die to yourself. Life's not going to be easy. Or how about what happened to Jesus? He was the most faithful person on the planet. He didn't even sin. What happened to him? He ended up on a cross, the most, uh, one of the brutal and painful and shameful way to die. That's not the prosperity gospel. Following Jesus is difficult and tough. Uh, 
which of those cultural messages of the world are you listening to? Which messages, agendas are you drawn to? What do you find yourself wanting to look at instead of Jesus? Which of those stories are on repeat in your mind? What sound good? Make no mistake, the world is selling us something. It has an agenda. It wants us to conform to its pattern. Come and look at me. Come and listen to me. My, my seven-year-old, he, he just turned seven. I just said, did I really just say that? My seven-year-old just turned seven. There you go. Uh, just turned seven. And what he wanted for his birthday was to watch Iron Man 2. Uh, he is starting to get into the Marvel movies, not all of them, but some of them. And so we sat down and watched it, and it was an okay movie. He loved it. But uh, why, why am I talking about this? There was a scene in there that, that I couldn't get out of my head. It's the part where Iron Man is, is getting poisoned. His body is kind of bucking against this battery, and he's getting poisoned by palladium. And he takes this battery out of him, and it's chewed up, and it's fried, and it's destroying his body. It made me think, if we consistently consume and look at and listen to the world's message, our mind is going to be like that battery. It's going to be fried. It's going to be broken. It's going to be singed. It's going to be no good to anybody. The world is assaulting our mind with its messages every single day. Come look at me. Come listen to me. And those messages, they're poisonous and they're destructive. So what do we do? Well, we take our mind off the world and we put it on Jesus. Take our mind off the world and we set it, look to, listen to Jesus. You see, just like the world, Jesus wants us to look at him. Just like the world's message, Jesus wants us to listen to him. The world wants our attention, but so does Jesus. And so Paul specifies, right? He goes on to clarify how we should move our attention from the world's message to the message of Jesus, to the person of Jesus. He does it in the second half of the verse. Let's go there now. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, a couple things to point out. First, be transformed by the renewing. Notice the tense there. It's in the present tense. This isn't something that is to be done yesterday and we move on from. This isn't something that we do tomorrow that can wait. No, it's in the present tense today. And it's a process. It's a continual thing, the renewing of our minds. To renew our mind is to learn, to distinguish between those worldly stories and the biblical stories. To renew our mind is to have our thinking resemble and form to the way that God wants us to think. To renew our mind is to develop a habit of asking ourselves, how would Jesus think about this? How would he process this in his mind? I love how one scholar put it. He said, to renew our mind is to cultivate a habit of thinking that reflects the biblical vision and the core of the Christian faith. It means we fill our mind with scriptures, songs, novels, arts, which will strengthen our cerebral capacity to understand and articulate our faith. It means putting some effort into growing in our knowledge of all things pertaining to God. Are you doing this consistently? Not a little bit here, a little bit there. How many hours are you putting into this? How many minutes are you putting into this? I asked myself that question. If I ended the sermon tonight, if we stopped and said, this is what we got to do, take your mind off the world and take your mind on Jesus, let's close in prayer. You know what? None of us would do it. None of us would make it. There would be no hope for renewal because all I've told us what to do is what to do. It's just renew your mind. Change that battery. 
And you know what I'd wager to say? I'd wager to say the world hopes that I end this message right now because it knows that we have a limited amount of self-control. We have a limited capacity to fight against its message. The world is too strong. That message is too enticing, and we are too weak and broken and distracted to follow it on our own. We might start, and I think some of you are. Some of us are. We might start renewing our minds. Maybe we begin a habit of putting the phone down, and not me right now. Uh, maybe we begin a, a practice of reading the Bible first before we go to Instagram. All those things are good. But again, if we go about those things on our own without looking to Jesus for help, we're going to start, but we're not going to finish. You and I, we've, like I said, we've only got a limited supply of willpower, limited amount of good intentions to renew our minds. But thankfully, that's not all that is in that verse. There's hope. I'm not ending the sermon right now. Let's go back to the beginning. The first part of that verse says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed. It's in the passive voice, and that is good news. Thank goodness for the passive voice. Because when something is in the passive voice, it assumes that something is being done to us. The person who is doing something to us who are following Jesus is the Holy Spirit. If and when you become a Christian, that means that you have the Holy Spirit alive and well and working inside of you. Romans 5, verse 5, a little bit earlier in the verse or in the book of Romans, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And this changes everything because there is someone living and dwelling inside of us who is committed to the task of renewing our mind. And every time, in every place, the Spirit is right there with his followers working in us, giving us the power and the ability and the desire to renew our mind every single day. It wasn't always this way. It wasn't always this way. You see, Jesus' followers, those of us who are Christians here tonight, we didn't always have the Spirit with us. In fact, those who do not follow Jesus don't have the Holy Spirit living in them. Way back in Romans 1, Paul begins the book by describing the depth of the problem. He describes the state of humanity apart from God's intervention, and he says this. They're sobering verses. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. That's a scary verse for me. I pray every day, God, don't give me what I want. Don't give me what I think I want. God gave these people and gives people up to what they want, and in this case, it was a debased mind. See, the default of the human mind was and still is to not want to acknowledge God. It's not indifference. People aren't born good. People are born sinners, not wanting God. And because of this, God gave over and still gives people over to what they want. Paul goes on to describe the life of the mind, what the mind looks like in people who do not have the Spirit. 29, verse 29, they're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. It's intense. Do any of those describe your thought life right now? Not to say that they're not present, because they're present in everybody, but do you find yourself indulging those, growing apathetic toward those thought patterns, fighting against them? But by the mercy of God, 
By the grace of God, he has not given his followers, his people, over to this kind of mind. He has saved us and redeemed us and given us life. Those of us who follow Jesus and who are wanting to follow Jesus and who want to want to follow Jesus, there's hope. We're able to renew our mind. A couple of verses in Romans 8, verse 5, chapter 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, they have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. A little bit later, verse 11 of chapter 8. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he will also give life to your mortal bodies, which of course includes our mind. Why? Well, because of his Spirit who lives in you. God is committed to the renewal of our mind. The question is, are we? Are we committed to that renewal? You see, God knows the world's capacity to fry that battery. He has done and is doing and will continue to do something about it. He's committed to the renewal of our mind through the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who helps push against those messages of the world. He's the one who draws our attention to Jesus to help us to come and to look at him and to listen to him and to be captivated by him. And so the question is, do you want this? Do you want to cooperate with the Spirit's work in your life, in your heart? If you're following Jesus, if you're wanting to want to follow Jesus, you got to hear this. It's possible. No matter where you find yourself, no matter how hopeless it seems or how cynical you may have grown or what other people are telling you around you, it's possible. God's message is the exact same message that the world gives us. Come, look at me, Jesus is saying. Come, listen to me. I'll wrap things up here with one application point. One thing that I think that if we can begin to commit to with some regularity, it can and will be the means by which the Spirit transforms and renews our minds. Here it is. You ready? Be bored. Be bored. When's the last time you were bored? What'd you do when that happened? If you're like me, you know what you did? You went... Yeah, I'm driving. I can drive with my leg. It's fine. I'm bored. Right? When we do this, when we just go to the phone or when we try to do something else, distract ourselves from that boredom, we're keeping the boredom at bay. And that's a problem because boredom is extremely important. When we're bored, our mind is at rest. It's not doing anything. We're in solitude, alone with our thoughts and alone with God. If you're like me, that doesn't sit well. That's not natural. In fact, maybe some of you don't like that. It feels inefficient. Or maybe it opens up all of the self-talk that you're trying to drown out with your busyness and tasks and podcasts and good things and movies and video games. If you're bored and you have to be in silence, maybe that's deafening for you. We're in solitude. If we're bored, that means we got to deal with what's going on. I love, there's a guy named John Ortberg. Listen to his stuff. Read his stuff. He's great. He said this, solitude is the place where you begin to find out the truth about your mind. Most of us are so afraid of boredom, we're, aren't, we're not willing to let it happen. And so we have to have a music or a screen or something because God forbid that we should be bored. Here it is. So good. Solitude does not begin by transforming the mind. It begins by revealing the mind. It doesn't begin by transforming the mind. It begins by revealing the mind. Where's your mind? Do you struggle to hear the voice of God? 
Do you question where he is? Could it be that he's been there all along? Could it be that he has been speaking to you and to me the entire time, but we've been drowning out his voice with music or weed or studying or work or porn or shopping or sex or work or a relationship or exercise or social media? What would happen this week if you welcomed boredom? What would happen this week if you said no to the phone? What would happen if when you took a study break or when you drove to work or when you woke up in the morning, rather than check Instagram or play Assassin's Creed or FIFA or uh, listen to that podcast, you just let yourself be, be bored? What would happen if, if in your moments of boredom this week, you, asked, you literally asked the Holy Spirit to renew your mind? You asked the Holy Spirit to bring something about Jesus to your mind. You asked the Holy Spirit to increase your ability, your capacity, your desire to hear from him. You just sit and you go, I don't even know what this is like. Help me. And you just sat. You know what I think would happen? Doesn't that sound good? Everybody take a deep breath right now. Just As the music team comes up, I think this picture summarizes the choice that we have every single day concerning our mind, our thought life. Where are you going to go? Who are you going to look at? Who or what are you going to listen to? Are we going to go one way and conform our mind to the pattern of the world? Or are we going to give our mind over to the Holy Spirit and respond to his transforming work and his renewing work of our mind? Remember my contention at the beginning. If we continually take the path of the world, we don't fight against its agenda, but we just indulge and we look and we listen, no big deal, then we're not going to have our minds transformed, and we're not going to continue to follow Jesus. We're not going to want to, and we're not going to be able to. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Cultivate those intellectual habits that please God, that remind you of who he is, that mirror his own thoughts, but don't do it on your own. Don't end the sermon there, because you can't do it on your own. But God can and has and wants to. He is the one who can start and continue this process. So ask him for help. Ask him to help you respond to his work. Be bored this week. Try it out. Not for its own sake. But instead, be bored. Because this could be the first step towards seeing and believing and maybe even experiencing experiencing that rich, that dynamic, that satisfying, that calming, that peaceful, the life transforming the reality that Jesus is more. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, 
To get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.